Glad you guys came to Inside Out tonight. It's nice to see you guys on this frigid, not even cold, but a frigid night. But anyway, I want to stay within this vein. The last couple of weeks, we've stayed within the Old Testament with a lot of stories. I could spend forever in the Old Testament, to be honest with you, because there's so many stories in it that mean so much to me and have so much relevance in our lives today still, okay? A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Elijah. Remember, we talked about Elijah, how he's got the mountaintop experience, <clears throat> and then Elijah fell right back into fear the next week. How we worked that out with keeping our eyes fixed on God. The last couple of weeks, we've talked about Rahab, which is an absolutely powerful story. So we talked about Rahab, the prostitute, hiding the spies, trusting God, hanging the cord outside the window, and then they came into Jericho, marched around the city seven times, seven days in a row, seven times on the last day, shouted, and the walls fell, and Rahab was protected because God was in the midst of what was going on in all these stories, okay? But I want you to know that all throughout the Old Testament, you will see Jesus woven throughout the Old Testament in a lot of different areas. Tonight, we're going to talk about one of the most familiar stories in Scripture, I believe. But picture something for a second, will you? 22 years ago, there was this guy named Dan who gave his life to Christ. And this guy named Dan loved to coach kids, loved to coach students. It was one of his favorite things to do. He just loved coaching. He coached Little League Baseball, he coached football, he coached basketball, but he was a sinner. All the time, he just loved to coach little kids. You know why? Because even as a non-believer, what Dan realized was he could look into the eyes of a little kid and just get them to believe in themselves. And I just loved it when you got a kid. I had this story one time, and I had a kid in a little league. Obviously, I'm talking about me. I had a kid in a little league, and there was a really tough play. His name was Cole. Cole was scared to death. Bases loaded, one of those deals, two outs, bases loaded, playing the first place team. We'd won like one game all year. And I remember Cole, I remember looking into his eyes going, Cole, man, I know if you just keep your eyes on your, keep your eyes on the ball, I know you can get a hit, I know you can do this. And Cole, I remember being a little nine-year-old kid looking up at me like, okay, coach, and off he went. But here's the deal. That guy, Dan, at the age of 30, 38 years old, got saved. And when he gave his life to Christ, the pastor's wife figured out that Dan loved to coach kids, and I really related well to students. I loved being around students. So she told me, she said, you should come and join junior high youth group. I told her, I said, Liz, I don't know anything about the Bible. I knew nothing about the Bible at this point. I'd been saved for maybe six months, if that. And Liz goes, it doesn't matter. You'll fit in. Come on, it'll be great. So I showed up downstairs in the church, and I walked in. And I, I, just as a side note, I remember this. I walked in this, this church downstairs, <clears throat> And I walked by all these high school kids because I had to go through the high school group to get to the junior high group. And I remember seeing young people, long hair, short hair, athletes, non-athletic people, uh, brainiacs, all these kids in this youth group. And I remember walking through there and looking at them and they were all reading their Bibles and talking about God. And it struck me. I'd never been around this before. And I thought this is so awesome to see this group of kids, students, that just loved God and acted like it. I went back into the junior high room and I spent a couple weeks back there just kind of hanging out, becoming a small group leader, just like a lot of you in the room are tonight. And I had this small group, Levi, Levi Thomas, uh, Nate Hickson, uh, or Trevor Hickson, and a couple of these other kids, right? And a lot of, some of the people in this room know those names and they were all sixth graders. And I remember Levi Thomas, he looked at me, he goes, dude, 
And that's just how he talked to, dude, he's a sixth grader. I'm looking at this kid like, what are you talking about? I'm just trying to figure out Christianity. Then he goes, dude, man, I got radically saved last year. And I'm like, you're a sixth grader. <laughs> but this man is today in love with God. And he's, man, Levi's got to be 30, between 30 and 35 years old now. So here I sit. And there was one night that the, who, I can't remember who was leading youth group. They said, okay, here's what we're going to do, everybody. We're going to do a skit tonight. And we're going to do a skit about David and Goliath. And I literally went, who? I had no idea who David and Goliath were in the Bible. Can you imagine not having any idea about one of the most popular stories in Scripture or in the world? So if you're in this room tonight and you don't know anything about David and Goliath, welcome to my world. So here's what I want you to do for just a second. Turn to your tables, and I want you guys to talk about the story, but bring out like we did at our leader table tonight. Bring out the characters in this story, the people that are within the story that you know, and if you don't know, that's okay, because eventually, I was smart enough to go this when I got in the small group, I'm like, okay, Levi, who do you want to be? I didn't know. He goes, I'll be Goliath, and then their kid's like, well, who do you want to be? And they'd pick out a character. I eventually got to where I was like, I had to find another leader, because I'm like, I have no clue what I'm doing, because I didn't know the story. Turn to groups, talk about the story, what you think you know about the characters in it, and then we'll come back up to the front of the room in a second, and I'll break it down. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to break the story down, and then I'm going to go back to your bulletin. I'm not going to go through a lot of the story tonight. <clears throat> I'm going to hit some highlights, but I'm going to go back to the bulletin when we're done, okay? But I want to set the context for you guys of what's going on here, okay? So I'm going to go to chapter 16. This story is found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. But I want to go back to chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, and I want to talk about David for a second, okay? And I'm going to use the scripture tonight, because here's what's going on. King Saul, who was the king, said he was, he was a handsome man, head and shoulders above everybody else in the community, okay? King Saul was the king at this time, but Saul blew it because he was disobedient to God. Saul got, God got mad at Saul and removed his spirit from Saul and kind of... Um, preemptively put David in his king. He's not serving as king. Saul is still serving as the king at this point. But here's what happens. If you look at, on your bulletin, turn to your bulletin real quick. At the top of the right-hand side, top of the page, it says David's relationship. I'll start here. Because here's what happened. Saul got in trouble with God. God says, you're done. I'm no longer going to anoint you as king. Samuel is a prophet. Okay, He's one of the well-known prophets. In the, a seer, basically, is what they're called. Samuel gets a message from God and says, I'm done with Saul, I'm going to remove my spirit from Saul, and I've already got somebody else in place that I want you to go anoint, okay? So Saul, Samuel at this point is going to go looking for the new king that God already has picked out. In chapter 13 of 1 Samuel, it makes it very clear. God says, Samuel, quit stressing about Saul. I'm done with him. He'll serve as king, but I'm removing my spirit from his, his anointing. I'm removing my anointing from Saul, Samuel, I want you to go find the one. I've already picked another man to be king, a man after my own heart, it says in chapter 13. Now, here's King David. Where's King David at when all this is going on? He's out in the field taking care of the sheep. He's a shepherd. He has no idea in chapter 13 of this book that God's told Samuel, I've already picked someone out. Here's a side note. You, whatever you're doing today, I don't care what age you are in this room, you serve where God has plopped you because you don't know what God's going to do with you in the future. 
When I was 38, I didn't know anything about the Lord, but I gave my life to him. When I was 49, I started going to seminary to become a pastor. A youth pastor at the age of 49, that's unusual. But here's the deal. All that time I see, looking back over my shoulder, I could see what God was doing, developing me. Now I see it. Then I didn't. Then I was just being obedient to God. So I don't care what age you're at in this room, wherever God has plopped you, whether it's high school or a job, serve him. And let him develop you as a Christian because even with David, David had no clue what God was going to do. So all of a sudden from chapter 13, we hop to chapter 16 and Samuel goes to the house of Jesse, David's father. Jesse has eight sons and Samuel's going to go to anoint a king because God said, out of this household, I am going to have you anoint the new king of Israel. Okay, got that so far? So Samuel shows up at Jesse's house going to anoint. So Jesse starts to line up all of his kids, all of his kids that are in the, that are in the family. Hold on, I'm looking for one of their names real quick. Oh, I can't find it right now. Eliab, I think is how you say his name. So Eliab's the first one. He's handsome. He's got it going on. He's like King Saul. And Samuel says to himself, well, that's got to be him. And God says, no, that's not him. Samuel, you're looking at the things you can see. I'm looking at the heart. So he goes to every one of Jesse's kids, and God says, none of them are the one I'm looking for. And Samuel asks him, he said, don't you have another kid? And, and Jesse goes, yeah, there's David, but he's a kid. He's out in the field taking care of the sheep. Samuel says, go get him. We'll stand here until he shows up. And as soon as Dan, David shows up, he said he was young, he was handsome, Word is he was ruddy, he was dark, he was, a, he was kind of a Marlboro man in the outside in the field. He was an uh, uh, outdoor, outdoorman, if you can put it that way. He looked like he belonged outdoors, but he was a warrior. And God said, I know that doesn't look like the one you would pick, because he's probably around 16 or 17 years old, but he said, that's the one I want you to anoint as a new king. So imagine this, he comes to you at the age of 16 or 17 years old, and he says, you're going to be the new king of Israel. And he anoints David, Samuel does. And then from there, you see just before this, this is where in chapter 16 also, you see where the, the Bible says that God removed his spirit from Saul, the king. So now that, I don't know if that scares you, but for me, that scares me to death. Because I think about those words, God removed his spirit from Saul. That scares me. But then when David was anointed as king, which he didn't even start to serve for years later, until years later, but when he was anointed as king, the Bible says this about it. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David and it never departed. So that's what you see here. The king Saul who has been disobedient to God, God says, I'm removing my spirit from him and I'm going to anoint David and my spirit is going to come powerfully upon David. And it said, the Bible says, listen, you guys, the spirit of God never departed from David. Hang on to that because if I get to share next week what I want to, what I think God's got me going on, you're going to be shocked that the spirit of God never departed from David. Okay, so that's where we're at so far in this story. Okay, so then you go on in chapter 17. It says this in chapter 17 at the beginning. It says, now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Shochem in Judah. They pitched their camp. Can't see because there we go. They pitched their camp at Ephraim's Demim between Shochem and 
Azekai, I hate the Old Testament for this, because I can never say the words. Saul and the Israelites assembled a camp in the valley of Elah and drew their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines were enemies of God for a long time. For centuries, the Philistines have been the bad guys of the story, okay? So the Israelites are going to be battling the Philistines, so everybody lines up their, their, their battle lines. And their, so if you can see the picture, you've got a valley of Elah on this side of the Israelites, on this hill, on this side of the Philistines. And you've got this valley that they're going to do battle in, okay? <clears throat> but here's what it says real quick. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. Just in case you're wondering, that's anywhere historically from 7 foot 11 to 9 foot 9 inches tall. So this is a big guy, okay? That's basically what this means. He came out from the Philistine camp and had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor and bronze weighing about 5,000 shekels. On his legs were bronze greaves and the bronze javelin slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and his iron point wedged six, weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him, okay? So you've got this guy that comes out, and here's the deal. you got the Israelite army on this side. you got the Philistine army on this side. you got the valley. Rather than these guys coming down and slaughtering each other, Goliath comes out of the camp, okay? Now, I don't know if you guys can appreciate this, and sometimes I think we miss this story. you got you got all of the champions of Israel on this side, and the enemy comes out. One guy, about nine foot tall, comes out and says, hey, I'll tell you what. You guys on that side, send your warrior out. He and I will battle, and whoever wins, whatever tribe wins, the other tribe will be their slaves. So if Goliath wins, the Israelites will be the slaves to the Philistines. If the Israelites win, the Philistines will become Israel's slaves. Make sense so far? <clears throat> because all Goliath is saying is, hey, you know what? It'll save killing all these guys. So the big warrior comes down. And then you've got a bunch of cowering Israelites on the other side because they're looking down on that valley floor and they see this guy whose, whose armor, they said, weighs over 125 pounds. He's carrying 125 pounds of armor on his body. It's got to be slightly intimidating. I think of Shaquille O'Neal and me standing there looking at Shaq and he's dressed in all this garb and he says, come on, let's fight. I'm going to be up there. My knees, you could be able to hear my knees are knocking because I'm not that brave, right? So for 40 days and 40 nights, 80 times, Goliath comes down and challenges these guys to one-on-one -on -one duel. Now, remember what it says about Saul? It says Saul was head and shoulders above anybody else in the Israelites. He was handsome, and he stood tall, and he was strong. Wouldn't you think Saul would be the one that would come down and fight Goliath? The king would be the one, I got this, fellas, don't worry, it's mine. Because Saul's the handsomest and the strongest and the tallest in the bunch. But Saul is cowering in fear. You know why? Bingo. Because the Spirit of God had departed from him. And he was scared to death of the enemy. He was scared to death of dying in front of the, to the enemy. So you've got all this going on, 40 days, 40 nights. David's back in the field taking care of sheep. His brothers are out on the front line having a battle, right? So when David's dad says, hey, here's what I want you to do. Go to the front line, get a report for me, and come back and tell me what's going on. So David takes some food out to the guys at the camp, and he gets there. And about the time David shows up in his story, here comes Goliath again. For 40 days and 40 nights, it says the Israelites were dismayed and trembling in fear. And the word dismayed in the story means they were horribly discouraged. 
They didn't have any courage left at all because for 40 days and 40 nights, the enemy had came out and taunted them and made fun of them and basically ridiculed the God of Israel. So not only did he pick at them, he was ridiculing their God. The armies of Israel were looking, were, were cowering in fear to Goliath. David shows up on the front lines, and about that time, here comes Goliath. I'm going to cut some of the story short. So here comes Goliath, and here comes David. And David's like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is this knothead that's out there defiling the, uh, the, uh, the, the armies of Israel, the army of God? David's standing here going, what's, what, what's the deal, fellas? Why isn't anybody going down there fighting him? And everybody's like, you don't have any idea what we've been going through, and, and it's been really hard, and I'm, we're better off here, and we're just waiting. We're going to wait him out and see if he finally goes away, and then we're all going to battle. So they're coming up with all their excuses, right? And David's like, no, this is nuts. I'll fight him. So he goes to Saul, and he says, hey, Saul, don't worry. I got this. Come here for a second, will you? Tell me your name again. Braylon. Braylon. So you got Braylon, okay? Here's Braylon. I wish one of the big boys were in the room tonight. Wyatt, come here for a second. No, wait, Peyton, come here. You're taller. So you got Braylon here, okay? And Braylon shows up in the battle in Goliath. Go over there for a second, will you, Peyton? You got Goliath on that side of the deal, right? Come here, Wyatt. And you got Braylon's going to tell Saul, don't worry, I got this. This is basically what David would have been looking like. He was out in the field. No offense, because you'll grow up and be tall someday, okay? So you got David, and David shows up on the front line, and he tells all you guys, what are you doing? Why are you letting that guy talk bad about your God? He's defiling the God of Israel. What is wrong with you people? And David says, I got this. So David turns to Saul, and he goes, hey, I got this. I'll, I'll handle it. Don't you worry. Don't be dismayed. I got this. And Saul's like, uh... Okay, see, he knows David because Saul, when the spirit of the Lord was removed from Saul, Saul, God replaced it with an evil spirit. And Saul was under a lot of stress. Well, Saul told all of his people, I want somebody to calm me down. So they went out and they found David here who played the harp. So David in this story before the, before the Valley of Elah, David has been playing the harp for Saul to give him peace. And every time David played the harp, Saul found peace. So these guys know each other, right? And here's King Saul, head and shoulders above anybody else. And here's Goliath over here taunting everybody. And David says, I got this. So Saul missed the whole thing. He missed the point of the battle. So he gives David all of his armor. He gives him all of his mail and chain mail and all this stuff that he's got, his sword, his spear and all this. And David's like, dude, he's, he's kind of dragging this stuff behind him because he's a little guy, right? He's a young fellow and he's got all this stuff on him. He's like, Saul, I can't fight with this on. I'm not familiar with this. I have not tested this, these weapons yet because what has David been using out in the field to fight off the lions and the bears? A sling and a staff. A sling, a stone, and a staff. That's what he's been protecting the sheep with. When a lion would come along and try to attack the sheep, David would get his sling out, and he'd sling one of them rocks at the, at the lion and knock it cold. He said, and if it didn't work, he's telling Saul this, if that didn't kill it, I'd grab it by the hair and I'd slay it. So you got David out in the field being a warrior. And David shows up and says, I got this. Go sit down, Saul. Thanks, buddy. So David says this to, to this guy. Goliath says, what am I, like a dog? You send a kid out with a stick because he's got his staff and he's got his sling. Remember all the armor this guy's got on? He's big. He's nine foot tall. And he's got all this armor on him. And you got the little guy over here with the sling. And he says, basically, today, 
everyone will know there is a God in Israel. Because here's the deal. David knew what he was fighting for. So David winds up. Saul's standing out there making fun of David. And David, short, we'll make the long story short, he winds up this little rock they call a slingstone, which was about the size of a tennis ball. So it wasn't like some little pebble, okay? So David winds this thing up, but he's standing there looking at Goliath, and he hucks this rock at Goliath, hits him in the forehead, and it says Goliath fell down flat on his face, and he was dead. Then David marches over. You can have a seat, Peyton. Then David marches over, and he says, I got this, remember? He takes, Goliath is laying flat on the ground, nine foot tall. David comes over with a sword, takes, what, with that, takes Goliath's sword away from him, stabs him, and cuts his head off. And then, then David, watch, you ready? Here's David holding up Goliath's head. And he brings it back to Saul and says, got him. <laughs> Can you imagine the blood and everything drip? I mean, this is quite the scene, isn't it? Go have a seat, Braylon. Thanks, buddy. You get it? But here's the deal. Here's what I want you guys to get out of this whole story tonight. And I got to close it up here the next few minutes and let you guys go. You see someone in this story that was not afraid of the enemy. Why? Because he had God on his side. I'm often worried about youth groups sometimes with the way I preach and the way I share, okay? And here's what I worry about. I know you guys like topical ideas, topical sermons. You like to hear about dating and about sexuality and about all these other things, right? But here's what I know about Christianity, you guys. And if you will get this, I'm telling you, you'll understand what it is to be a Christian. Everybody is so worried about what we do as Christians, what do I do as a Christian? What, how can I, how should, what should I do to, to be a better Christian? To me, you need to back this up, and you need to worry about being a believer. Because if I am a believer, and I'm a believer, and I'm, I'm following God, then the doing comes out of who I am. The doing comes out of the being. The doing will be okay. Does that make sense? Watch this. If I'm a believer, how's that go, Catherine? You want to tell me again? Be Believer, believer, <laughs> be a look at me, you guys. Be a believer first. Be a follower of Christ. Don't focus so much on the doing. Focus more on the being. Because if you be right, you'll do right. Because then you're doing because of what's been done, and what's been done is on the cross. So if I'm a follower of Christ and I understand what's been done on the cross, and I am a believer then the doing is right because the doing I have in mind what's been done. Does that make sense to you guys? And I know it might be, some, it might be confusing for young people, but I want you guys to really get that because I really believe if we get that part of Christianity right, then we don't have, you guys won't end up in pastor's office in your, as you grow up going, I can't believe I did that. You're still going to make mistakes. You're still not going to be perfect. But if you worry about being a follower and not so much about doing the right thing, the right thing will be, you'll do it because of what's been done for you through the cross. Let's go to this page real quick. <clears throat> David and Goliath, three things that we can see in here, okay? David's relationship is the number one thing in all of this. David had courage because of his relationship with God. It says the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David and it never departed from him. So that is why you see David being brave and Saul being afraid. 
because Saul had the Spirit of God removed from him. If you are a Christian in this room, you do not have to be afraid because David's relationship also brought him confidence. David's relationship gave him confidence because the confidence that he had in the field while he was killing the lions and the bears is why he was able to conquer Goliath. Because God was with him in the field, God will be with him in this battle as well. So that relationship made a ton of difference. The key to his success is found in 1618 of 1 Samuel. The Lord was with him. Is the Lord with you? Look at me, everyone. I want you to understand this. Your victory will come because the Lord is with you. Not because of what you're doing or not doing. It's because the Lord's with you. What David did was a byproduct of the whole story. We talked about this earlier. All the people in this story, the one person, the one, the one that people usually leave out is God. This story is not about David and Goliath. This story is about God being with David in the battle against Goliath. God's with you in the battles that you're going to face, and that's where you find your confidence and your courage. David didn't see everyone, see this thing like everybody else did. Everybody else, when David showed up, everybody else saw fear. They saw the giant. They saw something too overwhelming to overcome. They thought, there's no way I can defeat what's before me. David had a different perspective because of his relationship with God. Please catch this. Look at me. If you're a Christian, you can have a different, respect, a different perspective when you look at the battle before you. When you look at whatever it is that's in front of you that's scaring you to death, don't look at that. Look at who's on your side. See, David, here's what happened. Goliath set the groundwork of what the battle's going to look like. The enemy came out and said, here's what it's going to look like, and here's how we're going to fight. You as Christians don't let the devil set the, the boundaries and the, 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 the groundwork for what the battle's going to look like. Let's be like the devil coming to me and say, okay, here's how we're going to play. And I'm like, no. I'm a believer. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. He gets to set the groundwork for what this battle's going to look like, not you. And that's what David did here. He said, the Lord our God is bigger than the problem we've got before us. I talked to someone on the phone earlier today that I've never met before that gave me a call. And I told this person over the phone, I said, listen, you're going to be okay. If you'll turn this over to God, you're going to be okay because, listen to me, there is nothing that you will go through or any problem that you're ever going to have that God's not bigger than. And you will have victory no matter how it turns out when God is on your side. And that's what David did. His relationship changed his perspective. So when you see the devil and you see battles and you see struggles and you see stress and all the anxieties of life, you've got to look at them through the lens of God, knowing that my God is bigger than what that is that I'm going to be going through. His relationship, he did not let the enemy set the, gra the, the groundwork for the engagement of the battle. David's recall is the second thing. David recalled how the Lord took care of him when he was in the field. He slew the, the lions and he slew the bears. And listen to me. It's not going to be easy in your life. Life is hard. And you are going to have challenges and battles that you're going to think you're never going to overcome and you're never going to recover from. I promise you it will happen. That's not speaking negative over your life. That's speaking reality over your life because Jesus says you will face trials of many kinds. But what's he say? Take heart. I have overcome. And that's where you're going to find, if you remember these things, you remember the things when you, in your life when you're facing down a giant, you've got to remember what the Lord says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. The Lord promised to get you through to the other side. Isaiah 43.2 says this, 
When you pass through waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep, they will not oversweep or sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. I am with you. The Lord promises to enable me to do anything in this world that I need to do. Why? Because it says the Spirit of the Lord did what? Came upon David, didn't it? And powerfully on David. Guess what? If you're a Christian today, the Spirit of the Lord is deposited in you. The same Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you if you're a believer. There is nothing you can't do. But you've got to call on the Lord to do these things. And the Spirit, it says, we've talked about this before, 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. We've got to call on him. No, we've got to believe in the middle of the battle, in the middle of the dark of night, when I don't know what to do and everything's crashing in around me, exactly like Rahab did last week when we talked about this. I know God's with me. And I don't have to fear. I know God's with me and he's going to take care of me. He's going to walk through the storm with me. Fear is frustrating. Listen, fear is frustrating only when we forget what God has done for me in the past. So when fear overtakes you, and it will, and you see this giant standing before you, I want you to stop and I want you to remember what God's done for you in the past. That way fear won't overtake you. And the only time it does is when we forget what God's done for us. We forget that God was with us. And David relied on God. David had confidence in God that he knew that God, was there, that God would be there with him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him like we've been talking about. Saul failed because the Spirit had left him. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Ours is a spiritual battle. And that's what Saul missed in this. Saul thought this battle was about physicality. And it wasn't. David saw it as a spiritual battle, an opportunity to praise God and bring honor to God through this. So that was David's secret. David believed in God, and God gave David the victory. And that's when, and the last thing I'll close with this is, and you guys go to your small groups, watch this. Remember at the beginning, what, what was the deal that Goliath made? What was the deal the enemy made with the Israelites? I'll come down here, Goliath says, <clears throat> and I'll fight. You send someone out to fight me. Okay, that's what the enemy said. And if I win, you're my slaves. If you win, I'll be your slave. What did the Israel, what did the Philistines do at the end of that? When David cut off Goliath's head, it says in the scripture that the Philistines did what? They ran. They hit the high road. They took off. So did they keep the deal that they made with the Israelites? No. Why? Because the enemy is a liar. The enemy's going to make a deal with you. If you'll just do this, you'll get that. The enemy is a liar. And we see it in this story when Goliath said, if we win, or if you win, we'll be your slaves. And as soon as they lost, the Philistines made a run for it. Don't you ever forget in the dark of the night or in the middle of a storm or a situation, and all of a sudden the enemy starts making a deal with you, and he says, if you give in to this, you'll be okay. Nobody's going to know. Don't you believe him. He'll lie to you every single time. That's what the enemy is, is a liar. Turn to your small groups, talk about this story, and then we'll come back up and finish in a minute. Everybody, back to the front of the room real quick. I want to play a video clip for you guys, and then I'm going to close with a final thought, okay? In this video clip, who's watched the movie Woodlawn? Anybody in the room? 
Woodlawn's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's absolutely crazy. These guys, the, the context of this video that you're about to watch is like a minute and a half long. They're getting ready to go into the big game. They're going to play the team that nobody expects them to defeat. It's like a David and Goliath moment, if you will. Travis touched on something really good, by the way, earlier at our leaders' table. He said, a lot of people look at this story of David and Goliath as an underdog story, that the underdog's David and Goliath is the one that should win, right? But this story is not about an underdog because it's about God. And God surely is not an underdog anywhere in life. But this is actually where FCA started from, in case anybody's wondering. FCA began back in these days when these guys were doing this at college campuses. And this pastor comes into a room right before the big game, and he talks about the story of David and Goliath. Give this a listen, and then I'll close up in prayer. I want you guys to know something. Everybody look at me. You have to realize how much God loves you and how much victory you can have in your life because nobody in your schools know what you guys go through every Wednesday night when you choose to come in here and allow God to develop your heart. You guys have victory in your hearts through Christ Jesus. And every time, and you got to live your life like this. On this day, everyone's going to know there is my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who reigns over my life and he is Lord of my life and of my heart. Because every day you will find victory, even when nobody's watching. When you girls decide that you're not going to gossip about someone and you turn around and you walk away in the hallway, that is a David and Goliath victory. When you fellas don't look at porn, when you... When you're, it pops up on your phones and it's right there on your computers, but you're like, no, I'm not.